All right. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Again, it is wonderful to see you. I'm excited about today. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Joshua 3, if you will. We're going to look at chapter 3 and 4 today. We're not reading all the verses, so don't panic. But we're going to look at these two chapters. While you're turning, let me give you some background where we left off. Joshua had sent two spies secretly to check out the land, spy on Jericho. And while they were there, they lodged at a prostitute's house named Rahab. Rahab hid them in faith, and she also helped them escape out the back window, which was the back wall of Jericho. They ran to some adjacent hills, some limestone hills, and hid in some caves. They did that because there were people searching for them. The gates had been locked in the city, and searchers went out looking for them, trying to catch them. Three days passed, they couldn't find them, so the those sentries returned, empty-handed, of course. And once they entered the city, then that's when the two spies left and went back to Joshua to report what they had seen and what they had heard. And in that report was that basically, like 40 years prior, God is giving us this place. This is ours for the taking. Their hearts are melting. They are in great fear. So that was the report. And if you look at Joshua 3, let's look at verses, start with verse 1 here. The Joshua rose early in the morning. This is the next morning after the report from the two spies. Joshua rose early in the morning and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went throughout the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God, being carried by the Levitical priest, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. So here's what's happening. That next morning, they're going to be leaving this place called Shittim, and they're going to be traveling about seven to eight miles. Okay, They're on the east side of the Jordan. So here's the Jordan River. They're on the east side traveling this way, westerly towards Jericho, which is on the other side. Now, you have to understand, this is quite a feat. You'd think, oh, seven, eight miles is not a big deal, but you're talking about a couple million people, okay? You ever had a trip where you took your family, especially those that had babies, all the stuff you got to gather? I mean, they had to get their animals, they had to grab their children, they had to break their tent down, their camp, and they had to travel where they were going to set up on the border of the Jordan River. It's kind of a big deal. And one thing that was told to them from the get-go, and we'll see this throughout Scripture, is listen, <laughs> As soon as you see the ark, that is the cue, the ark, you are to follow it. You are to follow the ark. We'll hear about this again. Look at verse 4. Yet there should be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Now let me explain. Prior to this, it said that the officers went around after three days. Traveling from Shittim to the border of Jordan, right? Now he's saying, consecrate yourselves. That means you're going to wash your bodies. You're going to wash your clothes. You're going to abstain from sex. You're going to prepare yourself spiritually to cross this river. But something very important, instructions are given about the ark. When you see it, follow it. 
but 2,000 cubits, folks, that's about, that's a little over a half mile, okay? Some people say a mile, some people say half. It's, it's a little over a half mile, 2,000 cubits. The reason, usually the, the ark and, the, and the, the temple, all that was in the middle of the procession when they traveled, but with this, they are going to follow the ark, means everybody needs to visually be able to see it. So do not crowd the ark. Do not come near it. Stay a half mile back so everybody can see it because you haven't gone this way before. You don't even know where you're going. Everybody needs to see the Ark of the Covenant. So make sure you follow my instructions. Stay a half mile back and consecrate yourselves. Now Joshua gives the priests their orders. You'll see that throughout this scripture. The Lord told Joshua something special though. The Lord told Joshua that he was going to be exalted in the sight of all Israel. He would be exalted in the sight of all Israel. And as God was with Moses, God will be with Joshua. And this is going to be an obvious thing to the people because of what's about to happen. So he calls all the people to him, and I love this verse. For me, this is the, this is the, the climatic part for this story. Look at verse 10. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know. Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will be without, or excuse me, that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Jebusites. All the inhabitants, all these people groups in Canaan are going to be driven out without fail. Well, how are we going to know that the living God is with us? Well, let me explain something. You have to understand that they had fought people groups and they were about to encounter the same on the other side of the Jordan that believed in dead gods, false gods, seasonal gods. They're here and now they're gone. They're not real. And Joshua's saying, you'll know that the living God is among you. And I want to just say that one more time. The living God because they're going up against people that believe in false gods. Without fail, we're going to drive them out. Without fail. Well, how are we going to know? How shall we know? What's happening here? Well, we're building up to this great crossing. This great crossing is how we're going to know that the living God is among us and is for us. Now, next in this story... It seems a little out of place, but Joshua selects 12 men. He's commanded to. He selects 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe, and they will be given a task to perform later. I'll bring them up again. But I need you to know now, Joshua has selected them for a very special task. As the people were crossing, maybe they said to the side, I don't know. But they had a very special task. Look at verse 13. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. Now, I'm going to talk a lot about the Jordan River here in a second. But we have to understand what we're about to witness. Because we're about to witness a great miracle. And I say we because we have the story, and this story, it's real to us. 
We weren't eyewitnesses, but we have the eyewitness account. Look at verse 15. As soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of the harvest, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan, and those flowing down toward the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. This is huge. As soon as the priest's feet entered the water, the water stopped flowing. Now this is huge. Because you have to understand, if you notice, in the, I said that the Jordan overflows all its banks in the harvest. I'm going to use this text again later to prove archaeologically, the evidence archaeologically, prove the existence of Jericho, validate Scripture, making it all the more real, for especially if we have a non-believer here, where proof is in Scripture. I'm going to use that again because it all comes into play. But what I need you to understand is you can go online and look at the Jordan. You can say, oh, that's just a cute little river. I could probably hop right over that. Well, we have to understand the water is, is not what it used to be with industry and agriculture. It's different. But back then, when Mount Hermon, when the snows would melt Mount Hermon north of where we're talking about, when the peaks, the snow would melt, all that water would flow and channel itself into the Jordan. And the banks would overflow. The water would be mighty. Instead of a 50-yard shot, you're talking a much deeper and broad, wide. We're talking wide. But what happened is the current became so strong, it was a torrential current, because all these waters are coming down. And they're cascading. And they're growing in strength. So what they were up against was quite the obstacle. It wasn't just a little brook that they were going to cross. And you've got to remember how many people we're talking about crossing. So we're looking at a 20-plus mile swath of dry riverbed. This wasn't just a little doorway they were going through, folks. This was miles and miles. As far as the eye could see, the waters had stopped. Now, I will tell you, where the water stopped near Adam, there are three instances that are recorded from uh, earthquakes that stopped that water and mudslides. And then they resumed again. But I don't think that it was a, although God could use natural causes, I believe the timing of those feet stopped the water. And when the feet left, started it back. I believe that was the miracle and power of God. And Joshua was, was going to be exalted in that. So to end this chapter 3, the priest obeyed what they were commanded, and they stood in the midst of the Jordan. But here's the important thing. They stood on dry ground. The nation of Israel passed over on dry ground. Now you may be wondering, Pastor, where in the world are you going with this? Where are you going with this story? Well, the river, like I said, was dried up as far as the eye could see. It was a stupendous miracle. It was a miraculous event. You know, the Jordan takes its name from Descender. I told you that. Uh, I mean, I was telling you, I was going to tell you a little more about the Jordan River. Uh, the Jordan River, actually, uh, Jordan means Descender. And with all the cascadings and the rapids, that has many rapids, 
the force of that water, with all of it coming from the mountain peaks, would grow, and it would overflow the bank, banks at harvest time. It was a big deal, and it was scary. If you, any of you ever stood in a river with a strong current, you realize what you're up against. It is not easy to stand. So you can imagine children, families, husbands, wives, animals, all these belongings crossing. It wouldn't work. So God stopped the waters, and they crossed over on dry land. So this is a big deal. The river greatly increases both in size and strength as it descends towards the Salt Sea. So it accelerated its current, if you will. It's dangerous. Now, by this great miracle, the crossing of the Jordan, at flood stage, mind you, at flood stage, by a nation of around 2 million people, God was glorified. He was glorified in this miracle. Joshua, like I said, was exalted, just as Moses was. Now they're standing in all of uh, Joshua. Israel was encouraged, because that's what it was about, encouraging Israel, especially what they were about to face. But the Canaanites, boy, I bet they were terrorized. I bet they were living in terror. You may be asking, why would you say that? You don't know that. Well, Rahab had just told those spies that they were in great fear. Their hearts were melting because of what happened 40 years ago when God parted the Red Sea. And they're only a couple miles away from this event where I guarantee you soldiers were watching where the water was parted. Can you imagine the terror? You heard the stories, and now you're eyewitness, you have eyewitnesses. The Jordan River has stopped up for miles. It's not flowing anymore. The people are crossing. I guarantee you they were in terror. So here's what's really cool. For Israel, crossing the Jordan, it meant that they were irrevocably committed. Did you hear that? They were irrevocably committed to a struggle against armies, to, against weaponry, uh, against soldiers and chariots, against fortified cities. We're committed now because we've crossed. But they were also committed to walk by faith and walk in obedience to the living God and to turn from walking according to their flesh in the wilderness, crossing over to the other side. Something that people forget, and it's okay, I'm going to remind you now, almost all the people of Israel who had witnessed the crossing of the Red Sea, they're dead. They're gone. This is a new generation. So when they escaped Egypt and crossed the Red Sea, there's only a handful, I use that loosely, of course, figure of speech, it would have been children that crossed that, under 20, that would have remembered that. Most of the kids, or most of the people crossing now, were born in the wilderness. That is amazing to me. So this was reinforcing God's love for this new generation. Just as he took care of them 48, uh, 40 years prior to crossing the Red Sea, here, I'm going to take care of you again, crossing the Jordan. But you need to be faithful, and you need to be obedient. What does that mean for us? What does a story do for us? Well, for believers today, crossing the Jordan represents passing from one level of the Christian life to another. That's what it means. One level of the Christian life to another. It's not a picture 
although I get it, it's not a picture of a believer dying and going to heaven. Because trust me, Canaan was not heaven <laughs> for, the, for the Israelites. As we dive deeper into the story, you'll see and realize that. It's where God wanted them. It's where he intended them to be. But it was not heaven. So yes, I understand that great crossing over from here to the promised land or heaven. I get it. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm also not talking about salvation. Even though it applies, it absolutely applies. Let me explain salvation for a second. It's true that we cross from one side to another. In fact, Michael W. Smith had a song called On the Other Side. Let me just tell you some of the lyrics from the chorus. Um, how'd it go? Okay, yeah. Uh, well, I found where I belong. Oh, no, you. You wonder where I've gone. I found where I belong. I'm on the other side. It's true. I used to walk your shore, but I'm not there anymore. I'm on the other side. Why is it hard for you to see all the changes made in me here on the other side? See, a lot of times we have to leave friends and family co-workers, neighbors, we have to leave them, figuratively speaking, because we've crossed over to the other side. I can't hang with you anymore. I can't do that. I'm a changed person. I'm new. I have crossed over. I am on the other side. That's why I put that picture, I had Lori put that picture in the bulletin so you could see the significance of what we're looking at. But even though that's a true statement, guess what? I'm not talking about salvation because Israel was God's chosen people. Israel was the elect for God. So they are following and obedience God, so it's not that. You know what it is? It gets me. Man, this gets me. Crossing the Jordan River on dry ground, moving from one side in faith and obedience to the other is a picture of entering into spiritual warfare into a spiritual battle. We are claiming what God has promised. Israel was claiming a promise made all the way back to Abraham. They were claiming that prom a promise as they crossed the Jordan River. This should mean the end of a life lived by human effort. Why so many people think human effort is what gives us salvation. What so many people think is human effort it sanctifies us. It's not human effort. It is the beginning of a life of faith and obedience. That's what it is. Forty years prior, they tried this, didn't they? God was going to give them this promised land, fulfilling His promise, and they lived in disbelief. They rejected. They did not trust. They were not obedient. Therefore, they had to walk in the wilderness for another 38 years, plus the two prior, total of 40. They had to walk in the wilderness. They could not enter the promised land. Here they're entering the promised land, but we see this, this crossing as spiritual warfare. It's a battle. 2 Corinthians 3.18. Let me read this to you. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Folks, from glory to glory, a believer continually being changed into what and who you were created to be. 
being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. This is what's happening here. I understand that you and I are on a new shore. We are. Salvation is ours. But it does not stop there. That's not where you rest. You continue on in your growth. You continue on in your maturity. You continue on in your relationship with God. And what that means, living a life for God, is moving from one degree of glory to another, from glory to glory, moving to the next level in your Christian walk. One can only imagine what it had been like. I mean, just think about this for a second. What was it like for the Israelites to stand on the other side, on the other riverbank, watching this torrent of water, this amount of water just come right back into its place like it was before. They're looking at the path that they just crossed. It's totally covered up now. You can't see the rocks. You can't see anything. It's covered. This path is gone. And they lift their eyes to look over the waters, and they see the side that they stood on in the morning. Just that morning, they were over there on the other side looking back. I can't imagine what they saw, how they felt. I mean, it was a new chapter. It was an exciting chapter, right? It was history for them. A new part of history was beginning. But we do that when we look back at what we've come through, don't we? Can't we look over the waters, the torrential waters that covered up the path that God prepared for us? I can easily do it. I'll give you an example right now. I still don't know how I'm here. Well, I know how I'm here, God. But I had every obstacle under the sun in Jacksonville. My wife, my family, and we were faithful. We were obedient to God, but we didn't know how to get here. Human effort, forget it. The leadership here at this church was the same thing. Under God's control, yeah, we put our time in, but it wasn't human effort on their part either. It was the will of God. Both myself and family and the leadership of this church were being faithful and obedient to God, working within His will. And I look back, guys, I look back at three and a half years ago, and I say, my goodness, I remember being in Jacksonville going, there's no way. <laughs> this is never going to happen. It's <laughs> not going to happen. I can look back at the waters that have covered up that path from here, from Jacksonville to here, and go, God, you are amazing. This is all your work. So he gets all the praise. I wonder if that's what they did if they looked. And I wonder if they said, wow, if God can do this, what else can he do for me? Not for me, but with me. You know what I'm getting at? What other miraculous and wonders and what other works are he gonna, is he going to perform in my life? And I wonder if that's what they thought. Look at Joshua 4. Let's look at verse 1. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take 12 men from the people, each uh, from each tribe of man, and command them, saying, Take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you. Lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Do you remember the men that were chosen earlier in chapter 3? Here they are. The 12 men are now in the midst of the Jordan. And there's a reason. We're going to get evidence. I'm grabbing a massive river stone here from the middle of the Jordan, and I'm carrying it over to where we're going to lodge tonight. 12 men, 12 stones. Why? Look at verse 6. That this may be a sign among you, when your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? 
that you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. So 12 stones are going to be set up as a memorial. Look at verse, well, let me say this real quick. The 12 stones were selected and carried out, right, where they were going to lodge. Now, Joshua at this time, I just want to add this, he also set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan where the priests had stood, also as a memorial. Because they stood on dry ground. Because the priest obeyed the commands of Joshua who obeyed the commands of the Lord. Because after everything was finished and they stepped onto dry land, the waters returned. So he built a memorial right there where the priest stood. Let's go on to the why. Look at verse 11. And when all the people had finished passing over, the ark of the Lord and the priests passed over before the people. The sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh passed over, armed before the people of Israel as Moses had told them. About 40,000 ready for war passed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. So here's my Jordan River, okay? They're crossing. They're crossing the Jordan going west. But you have to remember, their Manasseh, the allotments of the tribes, Manasseh had a tribe on both sides, so the river split their tribe. So Manasseh was over here on this side of the Jordan, but the other half side, the other half is what they call it, was on this side. So you have the half-tribe of Manasseh, you have the Gad, you have the tribe of Reuben. Now they left plenty of warriors fighting men, plenty to guard the women and children and the animals. But they sent 40,000 of their brothers armed and ready for war, which they didn't need to, We'll find out they didn't need to lift a finger. But armed and ready for war to be with their brothers because they were all in this together. They led the way. The 40,000 led the way. And then the rest of the nation followed. And then, of course, the priest. After the stones were selected, after he built the monument, or the memorial right there, then they crossed over and the water came back. Just trying to give you a full picture of what's happening here. So you had 40,000 cross. Now, when this happened, Joshua, as God told him, was exalted before the people. And this was important because he'd be leading them throughout the rest of this, uh, this adventure. So he was exalted. They stood in awe of him just as they did Moses. Now, Joshua was told to tell the priests, come up out of the water now. Come up out of the water. And so when the soles of their feet left the water, this blows my mind. When they landed on dry ground, and what I mean by that is land, not where the river was running, the waters returned. Now, they didn't just return. They overflowed the banks like they did before. A massive, massive amount of water. Look at verse 18. Let's just confirm this. And when the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priest's feet were lifted on dry ground, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. It returned to being that huge obstacle. So they're on this side looking over going, we just crossed that. So that night, the people went to a place called Gilgal. They were going to camp at a place called Gilgal. Let's look at our last verses here. Verse 20, guys. Let's start in 20. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan... Joshua set up at Gilgal, and he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in time to come, what do these stones mean? 
Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So there's two parts to this. How are the future generations to know what these stones meant? The answer is clear. Parents were to teach God. We're getting a new mic soon, guys. I promise this whole thing will be over very soon. We got it's on order. It's on back order. It's going to be beautiful when it's here. You'll hear, you won't hear all that boom. But parents were to teach God's ways. Parents were to teach God's works to the children. A Jewish father was not to send their inquisitive child to some Levite or to some priest or some neighboring parent. They were to tell their kids themselves, and that's one of the reasons our world, especially America, is turned upside down, because people have stopped letting things start at home. We have to care for our children and grandchildren. We have to be 12 stones, if you will. Our lives should be representative of the 12 stone memorial. Ask us the questions. Are we a living testimony? I'll come back to that. Besides these stones being a visual age for parental instruction, if you will, the memorial stones had a broader purpose. It had a broader purpose. That was that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is just almighty, all-powerful. Now, we don't see those stones, do we? We don't see those stones but we can see them in Scripture. We can see them as if they were right before us in Scripture. So as the families of Israel spent their first night in this land, I am willing to bet there were quite a few hearts that were just maybe filled with uncertainty, maybe a bit of fear. I mean, they were in a brand new place, right? This is new terrain. I don't know the surroundings. This is a fortified city right in front of us. There might have been a little apprehension, a little uncertainty. But see, here's the purpose of the stones. They could turn and look at those 12 stones taken out of the Jordan, and they were reminded that God had done something great for them that day. They could look at them stones and say, I am reassured now. Surely we can trust the God who did this. Surely we can trust God for the days ahead, the encounters, the, the things that are going to come up. We can trust him if he did that. That's what the stones were for. Let me give you a little illustration about something. Suppose a child was born in a coal mine. And as he grew, the only light this child ever knew were candles, candlelight. Okay? Suddenly this kid is taking up this shaft. He leaves the coal mine, and as he goes up the shaft, surprise, shock, he sees sunlight, green fields, grass. He sees flowers, birds. This would have been shocking. What a surprise. He maybe even thought, I, I'm dreaming. I mean, I hit my head and I'm dreaming. But if you were to say to that kid, hey, are you out of the coal pit? Are you out of that mine? Can you prove that you are? Although the child would not have any idea of where he was or what he's seeing, convinced within himself, evidence that could not be refuted, right? Evidence that could not be dismissed. He'd have to say, yeah, I'm out of the coal pit. This is new. See, 
we know that we're born again because we have entered into a, what we call a newness of life. It's a new life. And things we never realized or could have realized, we realize now in that new life. There was a convert who once said, um, either the world is new or I am new. And that's what we are. This change that happened to us in salvation is strong evidence that faith is in us. It's exercising its power. God is exercising his power in the faith that he's given us. So we have evidence of that, but it does not stop there. That's the new shore we're on. That's the side we crossed over to. In fact, crossing into the promised land, it also represented a break with Israel's past. You have to understand that. There was a break. Here's the wilderness. You're crossing over into newness now, into a new life. So there was a break. See, the daily provision of manna, it would stop. Do you want to know why it would stop? Because they were entering a land flowing with milk and honey. This was the intended purpose of the land. It forced the people to conquer the inhabitants who were there, all the more to face their enemies and to subdue the land. Why? Because they would need to eat, drink, right? This land would provide, this land would now be the provision that God provided in the wilderness. And here's what's really neat. I want to read this verse to you. Deuteronomy 29.5. I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you and your sandals have not worn off your feet. Look at the care that God gave the, Israel, the nation of Israel in the wilderness. Your clothes aren't going to wear out. Your sandals aren't going to wear out. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to provide you drink. You are okay. But now you're entering this promised land, this land flowing with milk and honey. It's going to provide your food. It's going to provide your drink. It's going to provide your clothing. It's going to provide your protection. But you have to subdue it. You have to conquer it. There's a spiritual battle right here. Follow me in faith. Follow me in obedience. And they were following the Ark of the Covenant. This was God's throne. This was God's dwelling place on earth. And the centerpiece, it was the centerpiece of the crossing of the Jordan, the Ark. It held the Ten Commandments. Israel's constitution. It held the Ten Commandments. On top of that Ark is what we call the mercy seat. Do you know it was sprinkled all upon that mercy seat? Blood, atoning blood for the sins of the people. That's where the priests would come in and sprinkle the blood. It prefigured Christ, folks, his ultimate sacrifice, his atoning blood. God, the living God, was present with the nation of Israel. He went in first. God stopped the waters. God was with them. The whole miracle, the whole reason you're coming into the promised land was right there. The presence of God was with them. It's important to realize that literally the Lord went into the dangerous rivers first into the dangerous river first, demonstrating his role as Israel's protector. The same God that went with Joshua and the Israelites into this river, into the Jordan, is the same God that's with you and I today. That is the same exact God. You know the hymn, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I'm his own. Our God, the one we walk with, the God, the one we talk with, we belong to him. You could replace your name with Israel if you like. He is with us when we are crossing these torrential waters that are in our path. So crossing the promised land 
is also a picture of victory. It's a picture of victory. Unfortunately, many Christians today, and I'm sorry to say this, but many Christians are still choosing to live in the wilderness. They're choosing to live in defeat. They're choosing to live in disobedience. And it's a shame because what God has for them. If we look in Scripture, we find all the promises of God. We just have to claim these promises. Are you living in obedience? Are you living in victory? That's my question to you. Think of your life. Are you living in obedience and victory? Or are you still living in the wilderness? Because there was a break there. You're leaving this and you're moving to the other side. And that's what my question is. Are you on the other side? Isaiah 43.2 says this. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be consumed in the flame. Or you not be burned, excuse me, and the flame shall not consume you. This verse, it amazes me. It amazes me. My God tells me that he's going to be with me. My God tells me that I will not be overwhelmed. My God is telling me that I will not be consumed. And we know that water and fire are elements that can kill. Can they not? And here, he's saying, oh no, I'm going to be with you. We have proof of this with the Ark of the Covenant, with those Levitical priests holding the Ark of the Covenant in the middle of the Jordan River and those waters ceasing to flow. We have proof that millions of people crossed over on a dry bed to enter the Promised Land, fulfilling prophecy, fulfilling the promises made to Abraham. We have that. God was with them. For believers today, and hear me, please hear me, this is an amazing story, but God puts these stories in here so that we can apply them to our Christian life, our Christian walk. For believers today, crossing the Jordan represents passing from one level of the Christian life to another. Yes, we are on a new shore with salvation. We've been saved, but it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. We continue on in life preparing ourselves for an eternity with God. So it represents passing from one level of the Christian life to another. It is a picture of entering into spiritual warfare, a spiritual battle to claim what God has promised. Remember when I said about standing on the other side going, how did I get through that? Health issues? Have you ever gone through a big health issue and come out the other end and goes, well, God really brought me through that. I'm looking back, and it wasn't my effort, it was God. Financial issues, emotional, right? Parents, kids, you can, there's any number of things that can go wrong in the life, in the human condition, correct? Have you ever stood back and went, wow, God really brought me through that? I remember being on the other side. See, we have to claim these promises of God. Spiritual warfare, spiritual battles, they're going to be one after the other, folks. We are always moving from one level of the Christian life to another. In other words, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. From glory to glory, as some of your Bibles may say. Transformed in who we were created to be. There is an intention here. God intended them to be in the promised land. God has intention and purpose for you as well. We are to be what we were created to be. 
And you know what the evidence of this is when we find ourselves on the other side of that river. That is the evidence for a Christian believer when they can stand on that riverbank and figuratively look over and go, I'm on the other side of this. Praise God. That's Christian growth. That's a Christian life of maturity. That's you and I seeking and pursuing God in relationship, growing in Jesus Christ. It doesn't stop at salvation. There are spiritual battles that are endless in our growth. We are to claim those promises, and we are to find ourselves on the other side. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I am so grateful for your word. Lord, it's easy to read this story and just see the historical elements to it, Father. See the historical elements of this great, vast nation of yours crossing miraculously crossing a a torrential uh, flowing river to move to another side to face an enemy that they would have to remove so that they could subdue and take over the land that you had intended and purposed all along, promising Abraham. It's easy to just see the history, Father. But there's so much more that you want for us in this story. Lord, we see that they were in a spiritual battle. They were to claim and take the promise that you had for them. And Father, they moved over in obedience. They moved over in trust, and they crossed in faith. And Lord, that's what I'm praying right now for this this group of people here. Lord, for every person here today, Lord, I'm praying that we move forward in obedience, that we move forward in trust, and that we move forward in faith. When we figuratively approach the flowing torrential waters of the Jordan River, and we know that we have to have faith in you when we cross them. The ark's there. The presence of the God is there. The Holy Spirit is with us. We know you're with us. The Bible tells us you're with us. The Bible tells us you'll never leave us. So, Father, we're asking for boldness today as we take hold of the promises you have for us. Help us live in faith. Help us live in in obedience, Father. We need to always be encouraged. And Lord, even more, we need to be a testimony to others. We need to be those 12 stones for the kids. We need them to come up and say, Dad, why do you live differently than these other dads? Mom, why do you give money to the church and serve in this way? Why are y'all different from others? We need to be 12 stones, Father. We need to be a living memorial to our children so they too can understand what God has done in our lives, the miracles and the works. We need to be a living testimony to those wonders. Father God, that's what I'm praying for today. As we continue to fight in this life, one level to the next, from glory to glory, let us be a living testimony to the wonders that you have done in our lives as we move from level to level. Father, that's what I'm praying for right now for each and every one of us. Lord, I just love you. We love you, and we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your instruction. We thank you for just who you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.